Hey, Tome Show listeners, it's time for Gen Con 2012, and this recording is coming to you straight from the con. That's right. We present to you here an unedited recording straight from the best four days in gaming. But be aware of what that means. We did not dictate the content. We are not censoring for language. And while our editor, Sam, will try to make the sound as good as possible, we're in a large room trying to capture as much sound as possible. So it may not be as crisp and clear as you're used to. With that said, we, as always, have to give credit to the folks who help us pay the bills around here, and that's Continue Magazine. It's a quarterly magazine for all sorts of gamers. Video, board, card, mini, and, of course, RPGs. Be sure to swing by ContinueMag.com, buy a magazine, and tell them thank you for supporting the podcast. Well, without further ado, your Gen Con 2012 recording. Whichever one it happens to be this time around. Enjoy! All right, without further ado... uh... We will now turn the, the conversation over to uh, Jack Emmert uh, to talk more about uh, the upcoming MMO Neverwinter. So let's let's go. Thanks, Jack. Sure. Uh, sadly, I don't have anything too interesting uh, to show, but I can tell you if you go to the booth, you can play Neverwinter right there. Uh, it's a special demo that we put together for you. Uh, it's the same demo, I believe, that we're doing this week at Gamescom, uh, which is a Big video game. It's like E3, but it's in Germany. So uh, it's like a hundred thousand people. Three hundred. Three hundred. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's B to C business to consumer. So everybody who's, goes there. So it's the same demo. It's really cool. We put it together, and you can get a feel for uh, what the gameplay is, and it's it's radically different than I think you would expect. Um, so I encourage you all to give it a shot. Uh, why don't I, I mean, do you guys have questions for me? I think that that's a much better better way to start than me to start giving you uh, the marketing taglines. Sorry. No, that's um, fine. So what was the interest to change from the, you know, uh, self-contained, you and four buddies play to an actual MMO? And, and, I mean, I know that, you know, Cryptic uh, came involved and stuff like that, but how has that changed the design elements and if you still have that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, wait in line to go five and old, I want to join my friends and play and yes. you know, feel heroic like that. Well, we got bought by a MMO company, and we're an MMO company, and so it made sense to, to make it an MMO. The only reason why we didn't is mostly because of resource constraints. So, in terms of, of what I really like, as an MMO player, is queues. I love being able to queue up for a dungeon or an instance or an event, and so I could be running around killing stuff, and then I get, me and my buddies, we get put into a queue. We have this in Star Trek, and it works quite well. We're adding and growing it in Champions. So we have a persistent world. We do have instances as part of quest chains, as part of the storyline. But in addition to that, there are things you can queue up for, uh, either publicly or privately. So it could be just you and your friends, or just anybody. So that way you can just jump in and have fun, have a blast. Uh, so in some ways that harkens back to the cooperative play that we were trying, we were focused on. Um, so, yeah. Cool. More questions? Um, yeah. How are you? Uh, I'll take it How are you addressing the challenges for like the changing taste in MMO? Like, actually, really, I should ask first. What makes it what what makes it different from a typical grinding MMO? I mean, wow. 
so uh, one is the moment-to-moment combat. It's entirely, it's just completely different. It, it, it's closer to what you'd see in a console game like Darksiders than what you would see in a, a traditional MMO. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, that uh, uh, if you look at the pen and paper where we actually are doing this turn-based, that's more like... MMOs that we see, but but you know our approaches to playing D and D as a video game has been more action based. Yeah. It's almost take like a paradigm shift on that, but it actually makes that experience more fun. We really we really pushed it there, and we looked at games like God of War for how combat should be and how it should work. So that's one major difference. The other major difference is user generated content. The game's always going to grow and change along with whatever the players want. Uh, so those are probably the two major features that are different. Uh, than a typical MMO. Now, what is typical, you're going to kill stuff and get their loot. Um, in fact, I've been pretty adamant about this. That, that to me, is the essence of D&D, right? You're going to kill stuff and get their loot. And I sometimes think that we try to make it really fancy. And, and I, if I don't get you know, a really super cool magic weapon at the end of the dungeon, I'm pretty mad. So, um, you know. Okay, how do you... Um Got it. Yeah, everybody. In uh, like take take a, what the last Bioware uh, Star Wars. Star Wars, uh, yeah, sure. Thing, you know, they're going to after eight yes. months. Yes. Um, I mean, you take that's a lot of ingredients that would make a good game, but I feel like the formula is kind of on the downhill. Um, obviously, it looks like you guys are taking a new direction. Are you going to rely on user-generated content to be most of your most of your change and innovation? MMO, the limitations are you have this character, you want to go and change the world, but since you're in a game with another 300,000 players, you can never actually save the world. You can never actually do anything to change the world. I think you can get the illusion of it, you know, again, through those instance cued events and things, and certainly in user generated content. You can't just change the world. We do have a large live team which will be constantly updating the game, but there will always be limitations. So, one major difference, say, from Star Wars and us is we're free to play from the start. We are never going to charge a subscription. Um, this game's being designed entirely different. And, and as a result, I think it's going to be, uh, well, it's vastly different than any other. Is that a result of Cryptic's involvement? That's a perfect one. Uh, it, it, it's mostly because we were bought by one of the leading free-to-play MMO developers in the, in the world. So we have our, uh, our world <laughs> here in the West. But in China, the only video games that exist are MMOs. And the uh, metrics there are easily 10, 50, 100x what ours are. So if if you think that 10,000 simultaneous users is a pretty good number here in the US, over there, anything under under 100,000 is a failure. So they have this really a lot of knowledge on how to build a game with a free-to-play model, and it, in fact, is, is not what you'd imagine at all. So let me get back to your Star Wars comment. The problem with Star Wars was not how many users it had. It did tremendous, best-selling title. It, they just spent too much to make it, right? I don't think, people are saying that MMOs are dying. I, don't, I beg to differ, I think they're bigger than ever. How many people play League of Legends in here? That's 10 million users a month at least. That's kind of an MMO. It's closer to an MMO than many other things. 
people are still playing WoW. And in Star Wars, do you want to know why? They, they only got you know one million subscribers or one point two at the. Star Wars has a has an issue in that it's a limited market. I know you guys are going to laugh, but the only place that Star Wars can sell is is America and Europe, North America and Europe. That's it. In China, do you know how many science fiction writers there are in China? One. They don't even understand the genre. It just doesn't even make any sense. There's no such thing as a science fiction video game. It just doesn't work. They just don't like it. So you're immediately losing massive markets in, in China, in Thailand, in Korea. It just doesn't exist. But isn't Gundam, manga, a lot of that's really quasi-science fiction. It's just a different genre. Yeah, that wait, wait, wait. Like, yeah, you, you just... <laughs> yeah, we, but they bounce. They bounce. Oh, uh, wait, 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 wait. Time out. So there was this little thing called World War II. Japan and China are not. It, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. They're, Japan is its own thing, right? And in fact, MMOs don't work in Japan. People just play console. Yeah, we we experienced that with uh, launching in in Korea. Japan and China, and just the process of, of launching, uh, the changes to uh, localize, not just the language, mind you, but the things that were appealing, completely different challenges in each region uh, amongst us. So, so you, problems with the fact that it's kind of sticking to the same theme park kind of game, and then like the Swift War, it was a very limited theme park to begin with. So they only had a couple areas that they could actually sell it in. Plus it was theme park, plus low content. I don't know where the theme park, I, I don't think that limited their sales whatsoever. Because it's, 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 it's kind of the same as WoW. WoW had a great arc to it as well, but it was still kind of, you go in and you cry. Yeah, I know, but WoW is one of the most successful games in the history of gaming. And it's still. And it's, and it's huge in China, as opposed to. Yeah. Uh, another thing with Japan, too, is it really doesn't have uh, the PCs, especially the, the per capita, um, if you just look at that number, because it, obviously population is a huge difference between. Uh, China and Japan. In Japan, um, it's consoles. Imagine, because you know that's where yep. where we get the good ones. Yeah. So um, uh, in China, it's PC cafes. It's not even that they own their own. Although now the percentage is flipping because there's so much money. As the bandwidth China. becomes more uh, infrastructure built up, and their infrastructure build up is huge in the cities. Yeah. Um, but I could go on and on. Yeah. So really, <laughs> the problem with Star Wars is is not. It, it's just they couldn't sell to as many markets as a fantasy game can. There is a massive demand for MMOs worldwide. Massive. Um, and. There's, there's what, a uh, hundred uh, MMOs in production in a single year uh, from year to year. I don't even know what this, this year's numbers are. Matt, the, the, you, don't think, you don't think that the cultural perception of that type of game is changing? Like, you don't think that we're being distracted by any groups on the phone, so we don't care about that same kind of... No, I don't think we're being distracted by it at all. I think that that's a misnomer, because the numbers don't really bear it out. But that's certainly a popular opinion. Uh... But I would argue the people playing Angry Birds right now are people that never played games previously. And so it's, it, it, does, it doesn't really work. I, I view it as a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. Yeah. Right, uh, so why don't we take your, your question here because you have some time. Will you be doing freemiums uh, along with or, you know, the, the, the uh, for money marketplace that a lot of the, the free play MMOs are using? You can buy extra, extra things, extra content. We will never charge for content. What I mean is like, not content, I apologize. 
little cute extras that a lot of these, uh, a lot of these Sure, movies. aesthetics, costume, hey, we gotta make a li living. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we, we, have a, we have a kind of a different model, uh, and, and here's what the, the vision. So if anybody knows me, they know that I'm a big comic book fan. And so I buy Batman shoes or, uh, God, that's annoying. Uh, T-shirts. I buy the Bowen statues. Um, I spend a lot of money on comic books, a lot. And all of these different things are because I'm a huge enthusiast. Now, some people might only buy one comic a month. Some people just watch the cartoons on TV. They don't spend anything. But the key is that there's enough there that if I'm into comic books, I could spend easily 500 bucks a month. Easy. And... That's, that's what we're trying to do with Neverwinter, is we don't want to make anybody pay. But if you enjoy the game, there will be avenues for you to spend money in the same way that there are avenues. If I really like comics, I can go buy hero clicks. I can buy trading cards. I can, do, I can do all of these things, most of which I actually do, but I don't have to. Just still enjoy buying just one comic. Can you give us some examples of some of the things that are will be part of the Neverwinter experience to, to my side. I could talk about Star Trek. Uh, so, like Star Trek, you can uh, buy starships. They're just different. They're not necessarily better. They're different. They're cosmetically different. Yeah, well, they might actually be functionally different, too. I, if you don't play Star Trek, I don't want to get into the weeds there. But there are, there are gameplay differences, but they're not necessarily more powerful. They might be in some respects, they might have more armor, but they might be less maneuverable. They're different. It's all about monocles and hats. Okay. No, no, no. It's not like that. Please don't bring that in. Please. Uh, I'll get back to you. Um, so, you talk about Star Trek, and I know in Star Trek you can hire everybody here, your NBC crews. Does Neverwinter have anything for the instance content for like you, two friends, and now you need a healer? Seems really to make sense to have things uh, like, oh, I don't know, mercenaries, things like that. It would make sense, wouldn't it? <laughs> we, we adjust that um, as part of our, our accessibility campaign to make the game more uh, approachable for the people that don't have their four to six friends available all the time. Um, and so the, the hireling uh, concept that, that we put out where you can fill in that missing class was really critical to making it something that doesn't require a party. So solo accessibility is a big deal. In, in yeah, you had five mans. I mean, you had required five mans uh, back in the day. Back in the day, it was, it was, yeah, you couldn't get through it if you didn't have a balanced party. And, and that's that was a mistake we learned from in the yeah. first couple of years, for sure. I think about 20% of all my friends who play MMOs don't play with anybody else in the MMO. So. And yeah, I, and, and that's the thing too. It's like MMOs um, being a, a social thing. A lot of people aren't very social while they're playing them. You know, it's a, it's kind of a, a misconception. It's important that you can be in a world with with thousands of other people, um, and and it gives you that that uh, diversity of experience. But um, it, it really needs to support you good getting in at your time and playing when you want to. Okay, back back there. Um, I just had a question. The digital media is based off the intellectual property of Hasbro and Hasbro and Coast. Do you guys see these converging at some point? A good example would be my child. I have an eight-year-old that does things like Roblox, stuff like that. I can see as he grows up, I don't know if he'll see a distinction. 
really between the pen and paper does give you a great thing to do, a great social outlet, but we're seeing our children be more and more in the individual environment. How do you marry those two together? Because that's one of the things I was really hoping to hear a little bit about as well. How are they going to marry together versus always being two separate entities? And is that a on plan? That sounds like a strategic vision for Wizards of the Coast. I, it, <laughs> I, I think that you're right. Um, uh, so. Uh, we, we don't want to talk about our, our technological future at, at this particular convention because it's still uh, slightly vaporous. Um, but things like that are, are heavily talked about in, in, so, um, in our, our plans. You, you have to look at the point of view of wizards, right? And um, let's say you're a company and you've been making widgets. And in this case, they've been making pen and paper games for decades. Decades. Books, novels, miniatures, tradable card games. You have a company DNA. To suddenly say digital is not easy. That is a generational change. That is a massive shift on thinking, on ideology, on every level. And it's challenging. Not to mention the fact you can work with partners like us and, and get a royalty fee out of it and leave us to do a lot. So that's, in, and I'm not part of their, in, I'm not revealing any secret knowledge here. But you got to kind of put yourself in their shoes yeah. and say, wow, you know, it's a really big challenge. It is a massive challenge. Right. It, it just seems to be, from my understanding of technology, that it seems to be somewhat easy in some ways to link that digital IP internally inside of an MMO because then you wouldn't be able to reproduce it outside. Certainly, you, you would. <laughs> it, I know, it's just hard. It's not that wizards in the before job was hired years ago. They had a digital initiative, and it didn't really quite go in years ago. Yeah. Um, I understand that I was attached to a project that did it home currently with everything he had. So taking that into consideration, some of the knowledge I gained from that, it seemed like it wouldn't be as difficult of an undertaking. The problem is, is I do understand the business relationship between the two teams. No, I, I, and who would own that once it so was created? I, so I, I think that, that um, in fact, uh, just speaking speculatively, um, uh, the, uh, uh, it's important for any license to have a digital ecosphere that touches with its, its core, its core mechanics, right? So every everybody should be able to flow back and forth in between the the, 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 the things that they find fun, right? So that they can find a place of maximum enjoyment. Uh, and so uh, we know this, and we want to work towards that. I just can't talk about uh, talk about it at this point. Um, I'm gonna go to you. Uh, two questions, run really quick. The demo that fell on the floor is that the same one that was uh, at PAX East? Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I don't believe so. No, this is the Gamescom one. This, this is a, a new, new yeah, one specifically for for Gamescom in general. Yep. So the real question is with gaming next happening relatively soon. How is that affecting Neverland um, we, we've been working with uh, these guys to make sure that we're hand-in-hand hand with the essence of D&D, not necessarily, I mean, yes, technically we're fourth edition, but um, that we're trying to distill the best of everything that's D&D to make a, a digital game. And uh, I think that's the best way to, to approach it. Okay, so there's no, like, Oh, well, I wouldn't so, say that. So the uh, the uh, um, 
Um, the core of making a, a, a digital game, as opposed to the pen paper game, is you have to fit, you pick your battles, right? So, um, so I don't want to bash on Eric's game too much, but um, when you get up to be a 20th level character, how many buttons do you end up having to be able to push on? We, we had to add 10 more hotbars after uh, you hit level 10. You know, we, we ended up adding that later. So, and, so yeah. And you're it, replicating third edition. Yeah, if you're playing a caster and you've got uh, gear that has, uh, you know, clickable features on it, you, you're, you're going to be running widescreen with, like, nine hotbars of, of 10 buttons right. on it. So, it's it's kind of so mad. When, when you try to replicate D&D uh, uh, next to fourth edition or anything like that, um, faithfully, uh, as a simulation in an MMO or any other type of D, uh, a video game, you get a lot of complexity because D&D is very complex. That's what we like as gamers, right? Is, is we like to outsmart the GM so that we, we can have that character that excels in every situation. So um, in, in digital format, that just leads to hot button overload, right? So, um, uh, so at next and fourth edition, the only difference I would see in Jack's game from going fourth edition to next is that um, you know setting changes and whatever that are going to be announced in the course of the uh, uh, course of the time. So, uh, so there's not really a lot of, of, of change there between the two things. Um, but uh, uh, to, to further explain, we are working with Jack's team and, and with Eric's team to bring them closer to uh, a central story bible. Uh, not sort of an art bible. Um, we're finally uh, figuring out exactly what the right owlbear looks like. You guys have been watching our our, our dandy website and, and uh, the big fury over what is the appropriate goblin last week. You guys, I'm sure all of you are paying attention to that. Um, uh, and uh, and so we're we're actually really really narrowing in on what dandy really looks like, and we're, we're communicating that. With, uh, Jack and We've been evolving over the years. Uh, obviously, we three five was what we launched and supported, and that's what your your you know skills are, are based on. Uh, we don't have nearly as many as you would in four zero, for example. But um, as far as the monsters um, and uh, just generally how you how you stack and what the economy is like and what things are valued at, we had to break away from the rules because the genre didn't support the pen and paper version of it. Uh, not only is it is it you know it's not just your campaign and your DM, but uh, it's an open world with a lot of other influences. Um, so th so those things impact the rules in, in ways you wouldn't have, have predicted once you go in that digital realm. Cool. Uh, how well in Neverwinter does the if at all does the tabletop pen and paper experience kind of translate and trickle down and show up in the Uh, really kind of depends from feature to feature, uh, you know, whether it's individual powers doing very similar things or individual feats or uh, skills. Uh, probably where it's least felt is just the moment-to-moment -moment combat is going to be really, really different than you would expect, right? Because D&D &D is the backbone for most traditional MMOs. Uh, the, the turns, the and so forth. Um, I think that's probably where it's going to be the most different. Um, it's not going to feel like there are dice behind everything. Um, okay. Is no wonder then like real time then basically, and there's no ability for it to stop or pause on a turn by turn ratio? Then? Yeah, it's all real time. Okay. You can't pause. Okay. You can't stop. 
that <laughs> in an MMO, that's like Grief City. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny as hell, but yeah. <laughs> we actually have that feature in Star Trek. <laughs> um, I Did you find that, uh, or have you noticed that a lot of uh, MMOs have trouble with endgame content? And in that players seem to, particularly WoW players, and, the, and, and that when they spill over in other games, they're looking for that endgame content. It's like some, some have suggested that Star Wars didn't work out. Uh, the old Republic didn't work out very well because it lacked the end game content. Have you, have you addressed that all? Well, yeah. I mean, we, we we certainly talk about it. I mean, I think every MMO now, you know, really focuses or, or attempts to focus on um, an end game uh, that is lasting. Um, well, UGC is a huge part of supporting that. Yeah, right. Going because on because you can and, just keep on. Yeah, you uh, can make a new character and you know start playing completely different stuff. D- defining endgame is a challenge in itself. Yeah, right. Yeah, because you, you know you're going to raise the level cap, right? And so it's like, well, your endgame is only going to be endgame for you know however long it takes for you to raise the level cap, and then you've got to do that. But yeah, endgame is certainly a, a point of conversation uh, at Cryptic a lot. The interesting thing is that you know you, you have to pick and choose what you do with your game after launch, and uh, we just started talking about this. Where adding new levels or creating end game mechanics do not necessarily attract new users, but they will, however, retain your current ones and bring back old ones. But a new character class that brings new players. And uh, it's really weird. Uh, I've broken down all the stats with uh, Perfect World data and our data and how you have to pick and choose what you want to do um, in order to keep the game thriving as much as possible. Keep going. Yeah, we use your content scale with maybe the challengers as they enter this user content. Or yeah. We get the flat level of whoever designed it. No, you, we can we can do either. It's up to the UGC that editor. Like it would solve some of your in-game content there as well. It kind so, of. Uh, it, it it could. the The problem is that you know people want something that I mean that means that we have to create a whole set of end gear loot. Okay, that's not bad. But I think also people are expecting a much more difficult challenge with end game than you know just scaling an encounter to a certain. You don't have level. Thirty goblin. Right. Um, yeah, it's yeah, one of the, uh, the, the, uh, the frustrating things about some video games, uh, you've probably played some of them, is is you, you start out at second level and you're fighting Goblin, and oh, it's the toughest thing ever. And then you get to fifth level and you're fighting another Goblin, and oh, it's still as tough. I thought it'd be tougher than the Goblin now. And you get to tenth level, and, and the Goblin is still really tough. So now your feeling of growth through the game doesn't feel like growth at all. It feels like everything or is Or if it's EverQuest, it's a rat. Right. Level one, and then level five, it's it's a different colored rat. Right. And then level ten, it's a, it's a dire rat. So, um, so. <laughs> but using the Dungeons Dragons mechanic, could you have something that's more of a base and advanced and extreme, and then something that may bear a template that would all be on a basic slider for it? Oh, sure. So you can. So you can have a start out with a goblin at first level, but when somebody gets to the tenth level, it's actually a ghast, right. or maybe it's a ghost. Oh, well, sure, but then, but, okay, then, you know, you're just creating new critters. Right. Yeah. And, and those critters all have different powers, yeah. too, right? And they all have different AI, and those AI may not fit in with the, the arena that, that we put them in. 
right. and then that's just you know in terms of endgame people want some pretty advanced scripting some pretty advanced experiences right. that that's, that's more on that thing part type one where you're going to have maybe multiple bosses inside of maybe something that's more like you have three different levels you have to get through three different bosses to finally get to the end game if you use that methodology but D&D fairly rarely uses that methodology uh, usually D&D I mean playing it for 35 years myself I've never used an end game scenario like I would plan wow in a real game no, I, I would say you're, you're, you're going to see that most definitely in Neverwinter. You will 100% see <laughs> stage boss battles. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a staple because of WoW. It's a staple because of all the other... It's also fun. It is, it is, it is. And it does actually stimulate reading groups. And it does stimulate party interaction and social interaction. Too many games, too many games. If you don't have somebody building like your mercenary scenario or something like that. I'm just saying... For the user content side and the thing that will help keep it going because playing WoW, beta test it, did it all the way through, done a lot of the other games, you never did Star Wars or Star Trek, you didn't want to try it though. Um, the, the thing that's the disillusionment with a lot of the people that are my age and are still playing these and even younger is the roller coaster gets old after a while. You can keep getting gear, but I'm getting tier two gear, then it's tier three, then it's tier yep. I'm at tier twelve. Yep. You know, but it's the same. It's the same scenarios I keep going through. The user content makes it very unique in a way. It can. It can. So I really hope that is explored to its maximum potential. Up to the users. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they can create that content. Okay. Uh, little things have generated. Uh, are they able to, will the deals to create rating instances or boss fights like that? Or is it limited to just... No, you can create some pretty cool stuff. Okay. So yeah. explored and disappointed. Yeah, it's more than just, you know, plopping stuff down, but it, there's certainly some limits, right? Uh, okay, any other questions? Awesome. Um, uh, so we have uh, only about 20 minutes left, and, and we've talked for, for quite some time. Um, uh, let's see, uh, do you want to call it and go do lunch? All right. All right. All right, All right thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.